All right, we are going to get into the real... I, we're going to start getting into tonight. By the way, I'm, I'm also planning on doing a Bible study next Tuesday, if that's okay, so we can just make up some of the time, if that's all right with everybody. Um, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you, there's another, another reason for that, too. Because I, I don't have time, and we don't have time tonight, to, to, to sit and cover the rest of Ezekiel. But, you know, I think the book is pretty amazing anyway, from what we've studied so far. But we're getting into the part that is like now. Ezekiel 38, 39, and all the way to the end. And so I'm ha- I, I, I can't get it all in. <laughs> but we're just going to start hitting the good parts. And I am just, and we're right there. And I'm going to prove it to you as best I can between tonight and mostly next week. How, how we know who Gog is and how we can know who Gog is and who what Magog is. And, and because of, we, we, like with all prophecies, you really can't know the fulfillment of them until you're right on top of them. Most of them are like that, right? So how do we know what the configuration of nations, who Gog is? Well, we have to know when the configuration of nations is right. So we know that the leader of Gog, or Magog, and the coalition is who he is. And we can then analyze that personality and those people and find out where we are. And I think we can pretty much start doing that now. I think, I don't know, but I think pretty much we know where we are. Yeah, well, I think you're right. And, and that's why I'm so excited, you know. How long, much longer, oh Lord? <laughs> anyway, but we are, we, we last finished up, I mean, well, we finished up, we last, when we met before the holidays and everything, was uh, chapter 36, and what we were doing here, we were we skipped over a bunch of chapters in the middle, because where we, we, we learned the meat of Ezekiel that leads up to where we are going to be right now, tonight, but... Um, a lot of it was repetition about how God is going to punish Israel and what he's going to do. And you can see, and you can read that on your own, but the anger, God does not spare describing his anger, right, to Israel. And, and that's good. We understand how God is and what he's going to do. But, but what we left off as is, is the glimmer, not the glimmer, the sure hope. It's not just a glimmer of hope. Of, of what also Ezekiel, remember, it's a book of retribution and restoration. So now we're getting into the part of restoration, and that's where we started. So the beginning of the restoration was the, the prophecies <clears throat> that he would bring Israel back after the diaspora that happened right after Christ came, right, in AD 70. And we know he did that, and I don't have to review all of that for you. Since 1947-48, we know it started happening in the late 1800s, and, and we all know that. So that's where we left off. So I'm, I'm going to pick up pretty much there and move forward into Ezekiel 38 for tonight. All right. So we also, what he, what he starts really talking about, huh? Uh, chapter 36 right now but we're going to move to chapter 38 real quick so just keep your keep your fingers there all right so he also starts speaking very strongly of the major thing we know the tribulation is coming and we're going to be talking about that but the, the most important piece of the restoration is the millennial kingdom and we know for a fact that, and we all of us here know that i don't know how many most how much of the church knows this? I hope more than I think does. I don't know. But that the millennial kingdom has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do, especially if you know the prophecies of Daniel, it has everything to do with finishing up the payment of transgressions for Israel to even the score, to take care of all of that, so that when the millennium comes, then those who come out of, of Israel into the millennium will then see Christ on the throne of David, which is what that's all about, right? He has to get ready for the millennium, which is the fulfillment of that promise of Christ being on the throne of David. The fourth temple, which Ezekiel 40 through the end talks about, will be built by Christ, and we will rule and reign with him. And the guests that will be there, the, the, the people that will come into the kingdom, and will, will not be the church. We are the church. This, 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 those who are saved in the millennium are not part of the body of Christ in that way. They will not be part of the church. They will be saved. But they will not be... Right, exactly. And the Jews who are saved out of that will still be Jews, and that's why there'll be the reestablishment of the, of the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which all nations will come up, right? And the Jews will still be there because we know that Israel will still exist because she will be taking her rightful place in this physical world as the head of the nations, which she should have done back in the day. So that's what Ezekiel's, that's where we're headed with this. And that's what Ezekiel's talking about. So let's just go to chapter 36. And it says here, uh, verse 1, Son of man, prophecy to the mountains of Israel, that's the land of Israel, and say, mountains of Israel, 
Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Listen to this. Usually when, when God begins that, it's going to say, okay, now I'm going to slap you and bang you and punch you and, and punish you. for." But listen to this. A little bit different. The enemy said to you, ah, the ancient heights have become our possession. Isn't that where we see Israel again today? We're getting close to that time. Again, but it's going to be really big. All right? So he says, ah, the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore... Prophecy and say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because they, the enemy, ravaged and crushed you, Israel, from every side, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations. Do you see where we are right now in time? The nations headed by the Vatican, and I dare say Donald Trump is not helping because he's still for a two-state solution. And that's another story. I love Donald Trump, but I'm very cautious in my love for him. All right? I don't think you love him. Oh, I don't love him. I'm glad. You know what I'm saying. I don't love him. Oh, okay. You found me out. <laughs> Oops, I let it slip. <laughs> no, I'm glad for him, and I voted for him, and I'd vote for him again, and, and he is doing what he's supposed to do, But and so is Mike Pence. But I see where it's headed, and I know, and we know what... This is just too much too quick, and I think it's getting ready. But the two-state solution is coming. So part of that is this, because they became the possession of the rest of the nations, and that's what the Antichrist is going to do, right? He's going to make it, a, and that's what the Vatican's doing. Huh? When you say two-state solution, you mean Palestine and Israel? Yeah, these Palestinians who are fake there's no such thing as a Palestinian. These people are descendants of Edom. And they are also Jordanian by nature. Why doesn't Jordan take them back? Don't even get me started on that. Yes, because you know when, when Trump had announced that he was moving the embassy on December 6th, right? There was supposed to be all this upheaval. There wasn't, right? And what they keep saying and what, matter of fact, Sarah uh, Huckabee, right, said. Huckabee. I think, yeah, she said. And also, I think, um, uh, what's her name? Nikki, uh, our ambassador to the UN. Haley. Haley, thank you. Thank you. Yes, Nikki Haley said... This has nothing to do and will not curtail the two-state solution. And one more thing which is going to drive it forward. He just said, and he's right, but he just said that the Palestinians, because of their disrespect, especially with not, not, not uh, taking in and, and receiving Mike Pence just recently when he went to Israel last week, right? He said, we're going to stop our aid to you, but he qualified it. He qualified it. We're going to stop our aid to you, Palestinians, until you come to the peace negotiating table again. What do you think they're going to do? So this is the thing. So it says here, you have this, it's, it's said in past tense here because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Read the, read the book of Zechariah, and you will see God's anger flare up when this two-state solution is taken in, when the Vatican takes over Jerusalem. When the third temple is ready to be built, and, and the outer court is for the Gentiles, you watch. But he says, See, because they have ravaged and crushed you from every side, so that you become the possession of the rest of the nations and the object of people's malicious talk and slander, dot, 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 right? I mean, that's it. So think of all of that, which is he said, continuing in verse 4. Therefore, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the mountains and the hills to the ravines and the valleys, to the desolate ruins and deserted towns that have been plundered. They've been, the whole place has been plundered and ridiculed by the rest of the nations around you. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Now listen to this. In my burning zeal. Now when God has burning zeal, it's burning zeal. I don't want to be in, I want to be, have his zeal for me, but I don't want to have his zeal against me. Right? In my burning zeal, I have spoken against the rest of the nations. And against all who? What does it say there? Edom. Edom. Now there's two components to Edom here. Those Palestinians, and I told you that the Israelites still say that Edom is Rome. They say that. Because if you look at the history, Edom was very tightly tied up with the Romans when they built, when they stood there and watched them destroy that temple. They helped. Yeah. And if you look back in history, back to the days of Moses, he was fighting the Edomites trying to get in. They didn't fighting them, but they, they had a feud, right? Ever since Jacob and Esau, Jacob became Israel, and Esau, the twin, became Edom. They're cousins. They're brothers. No, they're, well, they're cousins. Well, yeah, they're brothers. I'm sorry, they're brothers, and everybody else around there from them is cousins. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? 
So, so this is this is now talk. This is right now talk. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, and against Edom, for with glee, ooh, happiness, with glee and with malice in their hearts, they made. Now listen to this again. Knowing what you know about the Palestinians and the Vatican's and all these things going on around Israel right now, for with glee in their hearts they made my land their own possession, so that they might plunder its pasture land. Now listen to this. This has to be modern day. Why? Because this is talking of the future time, right? When was this written? During the time of the last big takeover of that land and when, and when they were taken captive. The next time that really happened was in the diaspora. And I mean, when they were now, now they're back in the land, so it couldn't happen again until now. This is the point. This is now speak. This is the future they were, to- were talking about. That's right. Verse 6. Therefore, prophecy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and valleys, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I speak in my jealous wrath because you have suffered the scorns of the na- the scorn of the nation. You see how angry God's going to be? When we get to Ezekiel 38 and the highest representatives of those nations, which will be those nations you read about, like Persia, which we know is Iran, Tagarma, Gomer, Libya, all of them, the whole rank and file, headed up by Magog, which we know is Russia, Okay, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But listen, listen to this. This is this is the modern day. These are going to now not only war with Israel, they're going to physically invade the land. And we know that Putin is getting close. We did you hear again that Damascus was was approached by Turkey? Now Erdogan, by the way, Garma and they're all part of Turkey now, right? They're in there now in Syria. They're invading Syria again. So this this is right now. I can't stress it enough. So what does God say? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will swear with an uplifted hand that the nations around you, verse 7, will also suffer scorn. Verse 8, but God, right? There's always a but. I love when God says but, right? But you, Belted of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people, for they will soon, soon come home. Now, soon is a relative term, right? Soon, when this was written, was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, well, hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Before 1947 and 48. Soon. So when Jesus said back in the day, 2,000 years ago, I come quickly, I mean, I come rapidly, but I come soon. Oh, when, when even Paul and those people thought that the end times were right around the corner from their, from their lifetimes. So a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years with the Lord. So that's the point. So now we get to the current lesson. So yes, he's coming soon. And after being driven out of the land for 2,000 years, she started coming home in the 1800s and that in 1947-48. And then she got back to Jerusalem in 1967. And that is the, the epicenter of where things are going to start happening. Okay. So let's go to verse 9 now of Ezekiel 36. This is wonderful. This is now you see we're turning the corner here, right? From retribution to promises of restoration. God's going to defeat Israel's enemies like he'd done in the past, but this is the final battles before the Armageddon, right? This is this is the thing. And he says here, I am concerned for you. Isn't that a, a difference than what God was saying in the chapters previously? When I will plunder you and I will you will be eating your own children, you will be under siege. I mean all those things but listen to the... See, God, that's why I say, this full-spectrum love. When God is angry, love dictates really serious consequences. Unimaginable consequences. And yes, that is love. But when God is compassionate and he turns from his anger, love on that other side of the spectrum is love that is so sweet and so healing and so complete and wonderful that we can't fathom it just as much as we can't fathom the the severe wrath of God in its unmixed uh, full measure. Like we're going to see happen, it's going to happen, we know in in Revelation, but we see how he verbally states what he will do in his either end of the spectrum of love, right? This is the God we serve. This is the majesty of the God we serve. So if we take Anything from these scriptures, just by the way he describes, and he keeps repeating the same things over and over again, we can learn the character of our God. And, and when he says he loves us, this is really love. I mean, because you can see, because when you see he's angry at those who will not accept salvation, this is what they're going to get. Okay, 
I am concerned for you and, and will look on you with favor. God's telling Israel, I will look on you with favor. You will be plowed and sown, verse 10, and I will cause many people to live on you. And who's living in Israel now? Many, many people. They're even the Ethiopians came but in droves. You've got many people. That's right. More than once. You've got, you've got them from all over the world. and not just Jews. All religions are there. Oh, who knows? But there's a lot of them, right? But this is what he's... I mean, how much closer can we tell that this is a right now prophecy? We're in the middle of this, right? Listen to this. The towns will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. We've seen that. I will increase the number of people and animals living on you and they will be fruitful and become numerous. We see that. Right? I will settle people on you as in the past and will make you prosper more than before. And we're seeing that. Right? This land of milk and honey was a desert before. It's technically a desert now, but it started raining in the 1800s. And we talked about that after the diaspora was done. No one could settle that land. But when it was time for the comeback, they are a, an economic powerhouse. Right? They're the smartest people. The technology that we have for cell phones and other things comes from them. They're supposed to have the best technology in the world They do. Right now. Well, they, they do. Okay, so not only that, they're sitting on so much natural gas and oh, oil, and that's where the hook in the jaw is going to come in later. We'll talk about that. Okay? But, but God is saying, would you agree then what we're, what we're seeing here, what we're reading in front of us is right now. No. This is how important this is. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, when does that happen? That's not a right this moment prophecy. That's an extension of what he started back in the 1800s and culminated in 47, 48, 67, and, and all through this time that no matter what, they've always prospered even when they've been attacked. But they don't really know that he is the Lord yet because they're still there in blindness. So when does that happen? In the millennium. Would you see the cadence of these chapters? You see the cadence of, this, of, the, of Ezekiel? He turned from retribution, to, uh, from, from retribution to restoration. We see that right here, don't we? But in the timeline, we can know where we are. We know where we are in the timeline now, and we know that he just made a statement about the, the soon coming future, the millennium. Right? Because then you will know that I am the Lord. So he's not finished with them yet, but... What's not talked about here yet is the tribulation period, and that's what we're going to get into, okay? All right. So, it is then their eyes will be opened. I'm just going to read. You don't have to go there. I just want to read here. Luke chapter 13, 34, and 35. Luke chapter 13, 34, and 35. And this is what Jesus said. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kills the prophets and stones them that are even sent to you. How often, how many times would I have gathered you your children together, as a hen does gather her brood under her wings, but you would not. We're just reading about the consequences of that. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Now listen to this very carefully. You see the retribution? Because you would not, your house is left unto you desolate, and most assuredly I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you, Israel, shall say, shall say Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That just compares to what he just said here. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And how are we going to know that? Because they're going to say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, no, Jesus himself is saying this, right? And it hasn't happened in his lifetime. But this is what Ezekiel was talking about. Jesus was here when he said the same thing, and it's yet future. I'm also going to read something from Zechariah, which is like a mini apocalypse. So just, but just think of this, just listen to this. Chapter 12 and verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the people of Jerusalem the spirit of grace, unmerited favor, now that's restoration, right? And supplication. And in that same note about they will see me and they will, when they say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and then they will know that I am the Lord in the future. Listen to this. And they will look at me, capital M, whom they have pierced. Who did they pierce? Jesus. They killed him, right? This is Zechariah prophesying all of that. And they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only son, their only son from God. And they will weep bitterly over him as one who weeps bitterly over a firstborn. 
You see what he's saying here? This is important. This is wonderful. So all these things I just showed you all relates back to that one sentence in Ezekiel 36 that we just read. Then, after he settles them and does all these blessings, but until the millennium, when the millennium comes, then the fruition of all these things will happen because then they will say that, yes, they, they, they know who Jesus is. He's the true Messiah after having gone through all that stuff with the Antichrist. And then they had to go flee to Petra and all that stuff. Then they're going to find out who their true Messiah is. They're going to, only a remnant of them. They're going to accept him. And then he'll say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they will weep bitterly for what they did to him all those 2,000 years. Okay, Zechariah chapter 13 and 6. And this is during the millennial reign now, during Christ's reign. What verse is where it says, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah, that was Luke 13, 35. Jesus said Luke. that. That's in Luke. Pedro, yeah. No, but Zechariah is saying close to the same thing. Okay. Zechariah 13, 6. And listen to this. And during, this is what I'm saying, and during Christ's reign in the millennium, this is what happens. During that time, the millennium, one shall say unto him, to Jesus, what are these wounds in your hands? And then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Amazing. I'm glad you said that. That's the only word that, that I can think of that even comes close. Let's go back to Ezekiel 36, verse 12. And you never hear that. No. You're right. When do we hear, when does anybody discuss these things? This kind of stuff we don't hear, what I'm talking about here, is because it's offensive. No one wants, there are people who are, who are Christians who don't even love Israel. They hate Israel. They hate the Jews because they killed Jesus. Some of them don't even want to know that Jesus was a Jew. These people who are coming in from Islam and, and Episcopalians and all this garbage, right? And I'll say it's spiritual garbage. You can't offend them with the hell. No. They can be homosexual. They can be anything they want. You can't offend them. And this is what you get. So that's why we don't hear this. But I will also tell you, even in the church I go to, which is not like that at all, he preaches the gospel and he preaches about hell and he does, but they never get into the depth of these things. And they don't want to. And that, I think, is for another reason. So that's the answer. There is only going to be a remnant of the church. You see, this is the thing. This is, this is the thing. And we, we, we need to make sure that we are part of that remnant. And this is the only way that we're proving that we are. All right. So, well, we got 33 minutes left. All right, let me, let me continue here. All right. No, that's okay. No, that, that's not sorry unless, you know, you're okay with it. I don't mind going off on little tangents. I think it's important, but I'm going to have an hour. Okay. So listen to this. Go down to verse 21 now, and this is the real, this is really wonderful, right? Why? Why is God going to bring them back? And he did, right? Why is he showing Israel all this compassion? Why does he love them? After everything they've done to him throughout all of scriptural history, right? Everything. We've studied the Bible together for a long time. Israel is pretty bad, and I can say that Christians aren't much better, but Israel at least has documented how bad they are, right? Okay. But God's doing all of this for them, so we have to ask why. Does he really love them because they're so great? Well, we know the answer to that, but let's see what God tells us. Verse 21. I had concern for my holy name, and that's our job. We better be about making sure that no matter what we do, no matter how we walk, even though it's an imperfect walk and we have our advocate in heaven, we better make sure that everything we do, we live this life to glorify that name. And this is part of it, to understand who he is and how he feels and thinks and that we can tell people or at least know that we need to be in line with him because he'll love us anyway, but he's concerned for his holy name. So he says, um, which the people of Israel profaned among the nations. Should we as the church be careful that we don't profane Jesus Christ among the people that are around us at work or in church who may not be Christian or anywhere else? We better be real careful. And a lot of us aren't. And I know I, I'm sometimes not that careful either because we're man pleasers. Verse 22, therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. Verse 23, I will, beyond the shadow of a doubt, I'm adding, show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them, 
May none of us be guilty of that. Repent. Keep a very short list, repentance list of God with that. Then, and here we go, the Gog and Magog war in Israel. Just before and into the tribulation and on through the, the millennium. This is the time frame. Then the nations will know. Ah, not only now will Israel know that I am the Lord, right? Blessed to see who comes in the name of the Lord. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord. When I, I, God, am proved holy. Proved holy through how? How does he prove himself holy to the nations? Through Israel. All right. I'm going to read something from Joel here real quick. Joel chapter 2. You can turn it if you want. Joel chapter 2, verses 21 to 26. God begins to prepare the land for Israel. We talked about that. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice. For the Lord... God will do great things. Be not afraid, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the, this, is, this is like him talking to the land during the 2,000 years when he kept that land so arid, nobody could settle there for too long. The last people to settle there were the Ottoman Turks, right? Which were routed very gently, but firmly, and then it started to rain, right? Around that time. Anyway, be glad, verse 23. You children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately. So it wasn't like we talk about rain can flood. Too much rain is no good. It's just as bad as too little rain, right? Moderately. And he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month, so the crops will grow properly. And the, in the desert, by the way, oh, we see that has happened. And the floors shall be full of wheat. And the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. Fats, it should be vats, I guess. And I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. The cankerworm and the caterpillar and all those great things. My great army, those things, he sent to destroy the land before them until it was ready to be restored. Joel chapter 2, verse 26. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God. So now we're talking into the millennium, right? This has already started. We've seen this happening in the restored Israel. But wherever you see Israel in the latter time praising the name of the Lord their God, you know it's not right now. They're, they're still in blindness and darkness, right? Because praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. But that's not right now. It's happening. It's happening, but it's not yet. They got a lot of shame coming to them yet. You can see it right now. They're going to be boxed in, and we're going to talk about that now. Okay? And it goes on. I'm going to, I'm going to not read all of it. There's a lot to read there. It's, it just goes, the rest of this goes into a lot of detail on how he's going to restore them. But I'm going to read the last verse, chapter 37 here. In verse 30, uh, chapter 36, verse 37. And this is what the sovereign Lord says Once again, I will yield to Israel's plea and do this for them. I will make their people as numerous as sheep, as numerous as the flocks of, for offerings at Jerusalem. Remember the, in the old temple days, there were a lot of animals that those priests had to bring to sacrifice. They brought to the priests for sacrifice. As numerous as those things, those, those sacrificial animals, those appointed festivals, so will the, re, the ruined cities be filled with flocks of people. Here we go again, right now. And what's the final thing? What is the final thing he's going to say here? Then they will know that I am the Lord. That's not till after. This is all done and in the millennium. Okay? Now we move to chapter 37. All right? And this is now talking about, and, and you, we're going to go through this relatively quickly for tonight because you already know this stuff. The Valley of Dry Bones, right? And, and, and that's it. Okay, so let's go through that real quick because now we've read the lead-in of the restoration. This is now from the retribution to the restoration. We've turned that corner. We're talking about what we already know now. Can you imagine if, if this was, let's say, 1935 or 1920? And we were sitting here, of course, without computers and no Skype for you. We could be reading this and we would not really understand what we just talked about. It could be 1940, just around the time of the war. Or how about right in the heat of World War II? when the Jews were being murdered by Hitler, right? And we read this. Our thoughts would be very different, right? 
But because of where we are right now, and that's my point, that's why I'm saying this, we can read the scriptures, and, and I remember, as a matter of fact, Veronica, who used to come here, she lent me a Bible, she, I think she got it at a flea market or something from the 1800s, and she lent it to me, and I was fascinated because I love looking at old Bibles where it's a study Bible and I can see a commentary. A commentary in years before a lot of the prophecies, the end-time prophecies came to pass, and what they thought, educated men thought about what those prophecies were talking about who had no clue because they weren't in the middle of it. That's why it's so important to watch what's going on around us because we can only interpret the prophecies when we're right on top of them or they're right on top of us. It's, it's amazing to me. It's amazing. All right. So Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to go uh, uh, 1 through 14. All right. The key end time scenario in metaphorically speaking here. All right. I'm doing pretty good on time so far. All right. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. Here's Ezekiel talking. Now you follow the thread. Follow where we just went, right? Retribution, restoration, all this stuff. And speaking of the millennium a little bit, but setting everything up in Israel and the return of the people and all these things that just happening, which we're in the middle of now, but we're not in the millennium yet. You notice there wasn't a lot of talk of the tribulation in this yet either. Because he's talking about the restoration of Israel, how he's going to accomplish this, and why he's going to accomplish it. So the tribulation doesn't fit here, but it fits toward the end of here. Okay. But, but well, and the end game, by the way, which is when Christ comes in the fourth temple, that's really where he's talking about. So this is, this is the end game he's talking about. The good end game. But listen to this. Ezekiel 37, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them and around about them so he's looking around seeing all these bones in the valley human bones just dried up in there and behold there were very many in the open valley and lo they were very dry and he said to me son of man can these bones live now what a question they are dried up bones there's not even an ounce of flesh no tendons on them there's nothing they're dried up you see a bleached white bone Right? So it's like, what kind of a question is that? But I wouldn't say that to God because I know he's, he's leading me somewhere with this, right? It's like, uh, I, why are you asking me this? And I answered, oh, Lord, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, you know, you notice he didn't say they could or couldn't live. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, maybe I'm not going to, because you know the answer I'm going to give you. But, you know, so why don't you, I don't want to give you the wrong answer because it could be the right answer. I don't know. And he had to come, he, I'm sure he's bewildered like I would be. And again, he said unto me, prophecy unto these bones and say unto them, Oh, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, again, notice what he's doing here. He's telling Ezekiel to actualize something. Think of that. He's proxying something that Ezekiel could never do himself. None of us can restore life to dry bones. But this is not about human life. So I think what he's saying to Ezekiel, you're going to prophesy, you're going to write these things down because in my word is the life and my word is going to talk about the restoration of Israel. And this is the life is in his word. That's what I think this is really going here. My personal opinion. So he said to me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. It's like uh, your, your bones, I'm talking to bones here. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And Ezekiel is supposed to tell these bones, like, God, why don't you just tell them? <laughs> and I will... Do they have, uh, bones have the energy? No. They're dead bones. And this is a metaphor anyway. But th just think. He's sending Ezekiel to talk to Israel at that time when they were alive in the diaspora, in, in Babylon, right? It's a metaphor, but he's still sending Ezekiel to talk to the bones of to restore Israel at the future time. It's his word. He's telling Ezekiel basically. This is absolutely. We're going to discuss this thing. This is only about Israel. Ezekiel's only talking about Israel, and the context is the restoration, which hadn't happened yet, but which has ha already happened by the time we're reading this. And that was my point. If we would have read this before 1947, it wouldn't make much sense, right? Or before the 1800s. Okay, anyway. Um, Verse thirty, uh, verse 6, And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. 
And you shall know, oh, here we go again, that I am the Lord. Now, that's getting close, right? So I prophesied as was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, huh? Behold, a shaking, and the bones started coming together. Imagine seeing that, like in front of you, the bones start assembling themselves. Bone to his bone. And when I beheld, look, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. And this, I'm thinking like an old horror movie, you know. You've seen these, those old black and white movies where it's so like, before they had CGI, and all of a sudden, this, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm sure that's not what Ezekiel saw. <laughs> uh, and, there, and it says, and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So this is speaking of, right now, they are restored, and they're in the land. But the breath of life really isn't in them. That's right. You see, you're getting it. This is this is kind of coded, but it's not difficult for those of us who have the Holy Spirit in the church age to understand this. And it's for us. But it's for them, too, as, as a retrospective. Verse 9, Then said he unto me, Prophecy unto the wind. Prophecy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones... Now he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you what this means. Then he said to the Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's Israel and Judah, right? Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Now think of that. Every time the Jews were marauded, they said these things, right? There's no hope. There's no hope. Yes, and, it, it, well, and, and remember, there were some of those interviews that came out of the, uh, the concentration camps, right? Mm. And they said they had hope. And they had hope that the Allied forces would come that day and save them. And, and in fact, they did. But my question is, what about the hope of those who actually didn't make it? Who weren't there? Who, ne- who never lived to see the Allied forces come? What I'm saying is, they don't see a hope for their future because of all of these things that are written in scriptures they could have read. They knew what was coming. They're in the middle of Babylon at this point, right? This, they have no hope. But the assurance of God that sometime soon you will be out of here and go back, and we know the story of that. But um, they're the whole stuff. Behold, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost. We are, we are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophecy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Now that's a great promise. That's hope right there, but it's a surety. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you out of those graves, and and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. That's not all of them yet. That's some of them in the millennium and I shall place in you you in your own land and then you shall know that I am the Lord have spoken it and performed it says the Lord now there are some of them who believe that most of them really don't there are a lot of Christians who don't believe Israel's back in the land or they don't believe if it's true Israel that's back in the land they got their own problems they believe that the Palestinians were there some say Jesus was a Palestinian okay so let's quickly, we've got 17 minutes let's, let's, let's parse this a little bit just they quickly they may have the color of the Palestinians Please. We, we well, I mean, they're, they're cousins, right? They're all cousins. <laughs> they're very close, right? They've, they got the same DNA. Right? They're very close, right? Yeah. But they're very close. Are we going to do the same thing as the Jews did when Jesus, uh, when, Jesus, when Jesus came as a child? They expected him to be a king, to be, you know... To well, be, they expected him to... Yeah. And, and uh, I was thinking about um, uh, the believers... They're, they're, they're going to expect uh, Christ to come as a blonde, blue-eyed guy. And all oh, that's the Catholicism, and, and, and yeah, and with the thin nose. He's going to come up with dark skin, you know. <laughs> and they're going to do the same thing. They're going to reject him. Sure. Well, Have you ever you know, of that? No. It's, it's funny, yeah, because, well, no, if you look at the portraits, good. if you look at the portraits, most of them are European looking Jesuses, right, with the thin nose yeah. and, the, and the, the alabaster skin. It's like, this yeah. man's not a Jew. Can you imagine? Have you seen a portrait of Jesus as black? 
So that's why people can say that Jesus was a Palestinian and no, some, it's not difficult for some people to believe. Well, in Psalm 150, it says um, he, was, he didn't have beauty. That, uh, we can... Well, you look at that European Jesus with the blue eyes. I think he's pretty. <laughs> Just saying. Well, so that ain't the real Jesus. Well, he is, but I huh? That's why I, <laughs> I can't hear you. Pretty. But G, but what they were saying is the scriptures say in Isaiah that he was not. He's not when he comes. He's not going to be anything that we even desire. We're not going to care about what he looks like because he's not going to look like anything special. It's like when Israel wanted their first king, right? They wanted a king because the nations around them had a king, and God said, "Okay, I'll give you a king," and He gave them Saul, who looked the part, tall, handsome, probably dark. He married a dark woman anyway, the Queen of Sheba. <laughs> but that's another story. All right, so let's parse chapter thirty-seven here for a minute. Here's a summary of the detail we just read, and let's talk about what those things mean. We also see that God himself in, in Ezekiel 37:11 decoded what he was talking about here. So it's pretty straightforward. So what do the symbols mean? The scattered bones is Israel in the, in the diaspora, yeah. right, for the 2,000 years. The sinews connected to the bones, the pre-1948 gathering. Now remember, because we, we've discussed this many times, this, the, the modern-day regathering of Israel started in earnest in the 1800s, and we pretty much know the history of that, right? They started settling in that land in the late 1800s. The Zionists started coming, right? And they, and they started restoring Hebrew as a national language even yes. back then. Yeah, okay, yeah. so that's what that's talking about. So the meat that makes them up is starting to come up on the bones, a skeleton of framework of memories okay then the flesh now the sinews by the way is not the flesh right the sinews are the tendons the connective tissue that holds things together all right some of which we lose as we get older look at my belly but that's beside the point so you get that first that's the underpinnings that's the pre-1948 gathering that started okay by the way it was also at that time that that some christians like the plymouth brethren you've probably heard of them right they started realizing wait a minute this prophecy that Israel has to come back is key. And that started a big, that was the real push for end time prophecy started back then. Okay. Then flesh covering the bones. We know that Israel achieves national sovereignty, which is now her present day status. But you notice for all that, she still doesn't have that breath of life. She still doesn't even have skin covering her yet, right? Well, the skin's not going to come until the tribulation. This tribulation, this skin, you're going to have to build a tough skin, right? But that's going to be the final outgrowing and covering the bones with sinew, connective tissue, organs, and all those things. Then the final thing is a covering of skin. And then the breath of life, because these are all separate things, doesn't come in until Israel is, is that's her national uh, conversion or a national uh, prominence, her understanding who her Messiah is in the millennium. And that's when they will know that he is the Lord. And that's you know, why I was building up to that. Over a million people already uh, accepted the Lord. Over a million they have. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. And the biggest country exporting flowers. Now, I, I got a, I got a, I got a question for you. Wow. Food, they're exporting to other countries. In, in oh, yeah, well, Europe, mostly. They, they actually export fruits to Europe. Biggest, the biggest right now. Wait till they start exporting oil. And that's the thing that's going <laughs> to, Russia's going to really well, hate. They are <laughs> Especially Saudi Arabia now too. I mean, they're changing their whole economy. But yeah, so we're 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 ready for you know. Sometimes it's their prosperity that's going to attract the the uh, the, the the takers, right? That's what yeah. this is about. And the worst part of it is Israel. A lot of the Israelis they believe they did this all themselves through their intellectual prowess, their their cunning, their schemes. Just like Jacob. Remember, Jacob was a schemer. So was Abraham. So was Laban, and Laban was a great businessman. In fact, Laban, if you trace his people, they actually migrate over time to Lebanon, where they had such big businesses on the port city of Tyre, and that's why God said he was judging Tyre, and they had the big ships. They're the ones who invented time payments to buy goods, so they could book the bill, you know, book the, the, the sale, and let you pay over time, but, but they have the money, and they can give you the goods, and they, I mean, they have to give you the goods, and they just keep giving the money. I'm just saying, a lot of these things have... 
you know, some of these things they do achieve themselves, but they're achieving all of this. They're regaining everything. A lot Very of them quick. think it's them. Very quick he's going. Right. Yeah. That's right. Anyway, so I have a question for you right now because we have about 11 minutes left. I have some more I have to cover in Ezekiel 37. Or we can start with 38 right now or we can wait till next week. You want to go to Ezekiel 38 now? Okay, what about you guys? I would say finish 37. 37? Okay, so you have 37, 38. We need one more vote. 37? Okay, we're going to finish 37. It's not going to take that long. We're going to really get into it. Besides, what's good is it'll give me the rest of this week until next Tuesday to finish 38's notes because I haven't even finished them yet. I've got so much detail there. And that's what those pictures I sent you. That's part of the detail, which I haven't even finished yet. So, good. I'll finish it this week. You'll get it next week. All right. So here we're going to the next major segment now, okay? We, we have the, 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 the Valley of Dry Bones. We, this, we parsed all of that and what it means and where in the timeline it is and where we are in that timeline. I hope we understand all that. Now we're going to the next major segment, okay? Verses 15 through 28, depicting the restoration of a single, united Israel right at the very end. Okay, so now you notice he talks about Israel in general. Right, but but listen to this: a single united Israel. Because remember, the last time Israel was really pretty much together was was not, well, they got separated, and they were never together after that. Really, was was when the Northern Kingdom separated. Oh, yeah. Well, and they became the Samaritans and all that stuff. Okay, all right. So Ezekiel thirty-seven fifteen to twenty-eight. This should be pretty quick here. The word of the Lord came, saying unto me, Moreover, son of man. Now listen to here's another thing that we saw the Valley of Dry Bones. Here's the sticks. Okay, this is great. This is beautiful. Because this is exactly what we need to understand. Because right now Israel is split in two, logically, right? Israel and Judah. Same. Right, okay. Moreover, son of man, uh, 37 verse 16, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions, right? Who were there with them that didn't go on the other side during the split. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, for all of the house of Israel and his companions. These are the ones who split off into idolatry under Ahab and Jezebel and all that junk going on up there, right? Okay. And join them in one stick, and they shall become one in your hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto you, saying, Will you not show us what you mean by these? So now he's telling Ezekiel to go out. Remember, Ezekiel did a lot of uh, show and tell, right? You, we, we saw it before. So now he's going to go out and do these, these crazy things again. And see what they say. So he's going to take two sticks, have Judah and Israel on Joseph or Israel on one, on the other. He's going to take them and hold them together in his hands and walk around. And these people are going to see him. He's like, are you going to tell us what this means? <laughs> and he's supposed to say in verse 19, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the land of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah. And make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. Now, metaphorically, or, or equivalently, we're talking in God's hand, they'll be one. And the sticks whereupon, whereon you wrote shall be in thine hand before their eyes. You shall make sure you hold them both in one hand. That's probably going to be his right hand, but I'm not sure of that. Okay, so this is the key. Uh, verse 20. And the sticks whereupon you write... Okay, verse 21. And say unto them while you're holding these sticks in one hand together, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, they were dispersed, right? Where they gone and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land, okay? And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel and one king shall be king to them all and they shall be no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save, save, operative word, save them out of all of their dwelling places, where they're dispersed, wherein they have sinned, and, and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people, and I will be their God. Millennium time, right? And David, my servant... Now, who's equivalent to David? Jesus. So David, my servant, because he can't mention Jesus yet here because it's pre-Jesus time. So the, the one who is on the throne, the prophesied one who's going to take the throne of David is basically what he's saying here, 
shall my servant shall be king over them. Millennium time. We see how we know where we are in this. And they shall have one shepherd. And how many times did Jesus say he's the one shepherd? All the others are false shepherds. And that is in his gospels when he was talking to the Jews. You know, those gospels really aren't for us. They are, but I mean, they were really intended for a Jewish audience. That's right. Okay. Um, so they, they shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and will do them. And that's why he's going to have in the Millennium Kingdom the restoration of the laws and, and, the, and the, the holy days observance and all of them, all of that. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David, Jesus, shall be their prince, the prince of peace, forever. I just added that part. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. And listen to this. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. Now, what does that remind you of? When did God last set his sanctuary in the midst of Israel? Back in the days when there was a temple and the Holy of Holies was there and he used to come in in the pillar of smoke on the mercy seat. Right? For the church, he dwells in us. We are that Holy of Holies, basically. Right? Okay. So what he's saying here, he's going to now reestablish himself to dwell among those physical people in the physical way, in the physical time that they did it in the physical day. The millennium is going to be that again, because Jesus will be physically here as David on the throne. And that's the kingdom that they were looking for, that you said they were looking for when Jesus was king the first time. They were looking for a king to get rid of the Romans. And by the way, isn't that what they're doing? They're getting rid of the Romans, the Romans, the Vatican. The Roman system is still here. It's going to be resurrecting as that final beast, the final empire. And you remember Nebuchadnezzar's statue? It's going to be a resurrected Roman empire. So Jesus still has to come to defeat that. And what is the end of Nebuchadnezzar's dream? And I'm going to stop with this. What was the end of Nebuchadnezzar's dream? You remember the statue with all of the, the empires, the, the Gentile rule? The last one was the resurrected Roman empire, right? They're, actually, it's not resurrected. It never left. You mean defeat? Defeat. What happens at the end of the dream to those to the statue? That is hewn from a stone without hands. Right? It's and it smites the feet of the image. And that's what causes it to lose its foundation. And all those world empires, those Gentile empires, will fall in an instant. There's not that many. That's what he's talking about. Huh? There's not that many left. That's right. Okay, so let's finish this up here. Um, listen to this. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yes, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Just like in the back of the days of the Moses. You see how this comes again? And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. And we close it's chapter 37. Doesn't that, that gives me goosebumps. And I've read this so many times. So I thank you for allowing me to teach this because I just get a blast out of parsing this. The more you get, the more you get. Yeah. You know? Yeah.